Hello, hello. Welcome to my reinvented podcast, Taboo, where we talk about all the things people are afraid to talk about. If it makes you uncomfortable, I'm probably going to talk about it. Life is too short for ambiguity. So thank you for listening, and here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Taboo. This week, I've chosen to bring up the topic of money, because even though it's 2022, it seems like there's still so much anxiety, shame, or embarrassment when the topic of money even comes up into a conversation. And as I've gotten older and everyone in my friend group is pretty much in their 30s now, it's become so great to see that we have such a circle of intimacy and trust between my friends that I've known for more than a decade that we can openly sit down and have these conversations. But when I extrapolate the same conversation topics outside of that friend group, it's never talked about. And so I think that this taboo we've developed around money becomes dangerous in terms of, for example, the fact that men still make more money than women. When you look at data from the U.S. Census, women earn about 80.7 cents for every dollar a man earns. So that's about 20 cents less per dollar, which when you're looking at salaries that are $60,000 a year, $100,000 a year, $150,000, whatever that salary may be, it becomes a gross disparity between the amount of money that a male makes compared to a female, which is kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. When you look at the way that society is currently running, where women are supposed to be treated equal to men. And I think that talking about and comparing salaries more openly in the workplace will help close this gap. And this is something that I have always been a huge proponent of. If you know me intimately or we hang out in real life, I often talk about money. I'm not afraid to talk about this and I don't really care about the stigma that's associated with it. I think laying everything out on the table and being an open book leaves so much room for transparency and creates vulnerability, which helps create connection. And when you have that vulnerability and you share that with people, people are likely to share their own sides with you, especially if they're people who are a little bit below you in terms of maybe they're a few years younger than you in life, they're not quite at the same level that you are in the corporate world or wherever you are career-wise. And quite frankly, I wish that people would have talked to me about money growing up. I remember growing up, my parents never talked about money at all, at all. When I was a kid, you know, I may have gotten a little allowance here and there that I can think of, but I can never remember my parents sitting down and having a conversation with me and saying, look, Kristen, when you get a job, you know, let's say your salary is this much money. Let's say your mortgage is this much money. You want to always make, you know, at least half of what your mortgage payment is per paycheck. And that way you can live comfortably. Like, I wish that those were things my parents would have done with me. But especially in a Hispanic household, those were adult things and they were never talked about with children And this attitude against discussing money with children really goes against everything that I know now as an adult. I feel like as a child, you learn and establish basic money behaviors with the money that your parents give you, with the conversations that people talk to you about. I mean, today, one of my biggest struggles 
especially as someone who's trying to make it on their own now and has escaped the corporate realm, it's how can I sustain myself with enough money that I can live comfortably and not feel like I'm still living in scarcity? But when I reflect back on my childhood growing up, it was very much so driven by that scarcity mentality. I remember I would ask my mom for things and she would say, sorry, Kristen, we don't have money for that. But there was never any discussion of numbers or anything like that. And so if parents aren't actively talking about money with their children and helping them practice healthy financial habits, it's a huge missed opportunity where instead of setting your children up for lifelong success when they become adults, quote unquote, when they're 18 and they're reaching for their own independence, navigating this realm financially feels like you're learning a foreign language, quite frankly. I've always said it. I wish that in high school or in undergrad, there would have been classes of like adulting 101. Like to this day, if I had to go navigate purchasing a car on my own, I would have no idea how to do it. I'm still very unfamiliar with terms. I still don't know what a good interest rate is. And so those are the moments when I'm really grateful that I have a father figure present in my life because even something as simple as like going to the mechanic and I always call my dad, hey dad, they're saying the car needs X, Y, and Z and they want to charge this much money. What do you think? Because that's not my area of knowledge. That's not my domain. I am uncomfortable. But the more that we talk about these things and the more that we share all of our experiences and tell our stories, the more that this negative stigma of talking about money will dissolve. And so, for example, discussing your debt. In the medical realm, all of us have debt. It's very rare to meet somebody who came from a family that was affluent enough to pay for a lot of their medical school and their education. And I remember as a Hispanic female who went to Wake Forest, a predominantly white school in North Carolina, which is the South, very much so still today, I will never forget sitting around a table full of peers And first of all, I was the only Hispanic in my class. There was a girl who was Italian and she also spoke Spanish. There was, I believe, two black females and there was one guy from Iran. The other 70-something people in my PA class were white. And so when you first hear these stats and you see this quote-unquote diversity that they created, which I always have to laugh at, it's so shocking to be outside of your normal bubble and North Carolina for me was that culture shock and I remember sitting around this table full of my peers and I was talking with one of my friends about I was concerned with the student loan debt that I was going to have when I came out of PA school and I remember looking around the table and everybody was just looking at me with these blank stares and I realized that they had no idea what I was talking about because the majority of them didn't have student loans. The majority of them were lucky enough to come from wealthy family or an affluent social class where they were able to have the money given to them by their parents or lent to them by their parents without interest. And they would come out of school with minimal, if any, student loan debt. And that is... Till this day, something that is so wild for me to comprehend because 
as the child of an immigrant family, there's no way my parents would have had $150,000 to lend me for me to go to school. That would have taken years of my dad working relentless hours on the field for them to, uh, oh, sorry, on the police field. And he wasn't an agricultural worker, sorry. But that would have taken years for him to actually achieve that amount of wealth that he could freely give me that money without it impacting his lifestyle and his finances. And that conversation made me realize, wow, we, the people in my class, come from such different playing fields and have grown up in such different arenas of life. And that was such an eye-opening experience for me because I would have never thought that it was possible to go to school and come out with no debt. And that's the importance of traveling and learning about other cultures and really broadening your horizons. Because the more you discuss with people and you learn the kind of economic background that they come from, the kind of social class that they come from, the way that they were raised, were they from a rural or an urban environment, these things are all so important. For example, the cost of living when I was in North Carolina, I think about this all the time now that I live in New York City. I was paying $400 a month for my rent in North Carolina, and I had a giant private bedroom and bathroom on the top floor of an apartment with a roommate, and our combined rent was like $850 with utilities included. Granted, it was North Carolina. It was 2015. And I just compare that to living in New York City now, where to get that same amount of space, I would probably be paying at least $2,000 a month. And it would be nowhere near as nice just because a lot of the buildings here are not renovated. And if they are renovated, then you're having a doorman and an elevator and you're paying for those luxuries. So it's so important to take into account all of these factors when you hear people talk about their finances and they're opening up about that because for example people who went to school with me who are practicing medicine in North Carolina are probably not getting paid the same thing that I get paid here in New York City because the cost of living in New York City versus North Carolina is extremely different and even extrapolating this like talking about salaries with your coworkers so sitting in an office and asking somebody, hey, how much do you get paid? It's so shocking when you hear that question. And I used to love doing that when I was working in urgent care because I'm working in a company that had hundreds of employees and every shift we'd work with different people. And I would love to just ask them because we all came from different walks of life. We were all different ages. A lot of people were in their 40s. Some people were in their 50s. There were some doctors who were already in their 60s or 70s still working and they were doing like a part-time gig. And they came in with different years of experience. Some people spent 10 years in the ER. Some people were just doing urgent care shifts per diem to make extra cash. Some people were like me that that was their full-time job. And I used to love to kind of put them on the spot and put the pressure under them and be like, hey, if you don't mind me asking, how much are they paying you per hour? Because as I said previously, when you start hearing all the men like, oh, I get paid $70 an hour. Oh, I get paid $67 an hour. And then like all of the women are like, oh, that's weird. I have five more years of experience than you, but I'm only getting paid $60 an hour. Those are things that now are illuminated and you can recognize those disparities that exist and you can question them. And you can take that up to human resources or whoever's in charge of your payroll and you can say, hey, 
I spoke to a few employees whose names do not need to be mentioned, but I heard that they're all making XYZ money. You know, I come into the job with X amount of experience. I feel like I should be paid the same, if not a little bit more. And those are important conversations to have. Because if you work for a good company, they won't need to hide all of their salary information and all of their payroll information. The company that I was working at for Urgent Care was an open book. You could talk to people and most people were making the same amount of money unless they had been been there for a lot more years or, you know, they had some other extenuating circumstance where they had worked out some sort of deal at the time that they were hired and signed their contract. But just having these conversations and talking about salaries, whether it's in your job or whether it's with your friend group, it's so important. And as I've gotten older, I'm so happy that the friend group that I have has shifted from talking about, you know, what we're going to do on Friday night to instead like talking about how can we maximize our money? So for example, the other weekend I was coming home on a road trip with one of my friends and my boyfriend and we were talking about how we can create passive income. And that's like a, a trending word for me in the domain that I've been living in these past few weeks because As I get older and older, I realize I don't want to work till I'm 70 and then collect my retirement or my pension or whatever that may be. I want to figure out how I can retire early and have my money make money for me. So in other words, how can I work smarter and not harder? And so passive income is one of the first things that comes to mind when you think about this, because if you can figure out a way to invest some of your money into something that is going to continue generating money for you with minimal, if any, effort on your part, that's amazing. And so, for example, she, one of my friends, Nat, she brought this to my attention. She was telling me that if you have a bunch of cash in your savings account, there are certain banks that will give you a much higher percent of interest than other banks. So, for example, I have a bunch of money in my savings at Bank of America, and it's made no money. And a lot of people who are in the investing world and play around with stocks and things like that, They're always like, oh my God, you should do something with that money. You should invest that money. That money should be making you money. But I am not a big gambler and I'm afraid of the risk of losing that money that I've worked so hard for. And so those aren't really my thing. But she was telling me how if you open a savings account with Discover um, and I think the other one was Citibank, they give you like a 2.25% interest accumulation per year which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you have 50000 60000 100000 or more dollars in there, every year you're generating a couple thousand dollars. So what is literally just you saving money in your savings account for whatever you're saving for, a house, a car, retirement, you know, quitting your job to travel the world, whatever that may be, after five years, that $50,000 that you had sitting there could easily turn into $70,000 with you doing no additional work. Another great way for passive income is investment properties. If you have the money or the access to a property that you can manage, that you can run on something like Airbnb, or you live close enough to manage it on your own and you rent that property out, For example, if that's your home and you're living with your parents and you want to rent that house out and you make that money, that money pays your mortgage, that's an extra, you know, depending on where you live, $1,500, $2,000, $3,000, depending on the size of the house that you are making without doing any substantial work. You know, you may have to go in, do some repairs, you may need to do some renovations depending on the state of the house, 
For example, I was renting out a room on Airbnb and I was the cleaning service. So when people would check out, I would message them, give them the instructions. When people check in, I would give them all the details. There was like a photo instruction manual for how to get the keys. And then when they leave, I would put the, the sheets and the towels to wash. I would change the room for the next guest. And that was something that was minimal work for me, less than an hour. And generated a good amount of income for me to pay for my rent, to pay for groceries, to pay for whatever I wanted to use that money for. So those are some examples of passive income that on the day-to-day may not seem like a lot. But when you start looking at how much income you're generating per month or at the end of the year, it can add up very quickly to a significant amount of money. In fact, I know a few people who that's their job. They have one or two investment properties. They manage those properties. They have them on platforms like VRBO, Airbnb, and they rent them out. They make that money and they live off of that money. And that money pays for their mortgage if it's not already paid off and it pays for their lifestyle. So those are some great ways that you can think about building a platform of savings financially and create financial success for yourself in the long term. Investment opportunities are another great way to make money. I think if you're willing to take a gamble and you're willing to learn about stocks and cryptocurrency and all of these new buzz topics, those are great ways that you can create money for yourself quickly, again, doing minimal work. And going back to what I said earlier, I wish there would have been classes on this in high school. I would have been, I wish there would have been a stock market 101 class or in undergrad, like how does the stock market work? Because I've watched a few YouTube videos and I've spoken to people, but it is literally, you know, it's like the legal field and the medical field. They're completely different topics and completely different languages. And unless you've been practicing or surrounding yourself with people who are constantly talking about those things, the terms are all so strange and unfamiliar that it takes time and patience and practice You know, and especially when you're investing in the stock market and things like that, there's different kinds of stocks you can buy and everything is really a huge learning curve when you begin. But I know a lot of people, especially in New York City, who put in the time and the work to learn how that field works, learn the lingo, they read books and they start investing all this money, they buy all this stock and then in five years they've made thousands of dollars when things have gone public, when stocks shares have gone up in price and then they sell them so those are other examples of ways that you can make money and set yourself up for financial success you know and then looking at the more traditional way the way that a lot of our parents looked at it it's retirement goals so you're maxing out your 401k contribution looking at what percentage your employer contributes to your 401k which is called the match percentage you know these were all things that I had never heard of before until I started looking for my first medical jobs and they're laying all the benefits out on the table for me. And I was like, oh my God, I have no idea what this means. Is 3% match good? Is it not good? I have no idea. And then the more I started talking to people, especially people who were in different fields of careers, like people who worked in the computer programming industry, people who were working at Facebook and Google, people who were working in corporate banking, Those were the people who were really teaching me and showing me like, these are the kinds of benefits that you want to look for. These are the kinds of savings accounts that you want to create for yourself. You know, if you make under $140,000, having a Roth IRA is a great way to make money. And I had to go home and write all these things down and look into them because 
again, they're not things that are taught in school unless you're working in finance or you're working in corporate law or something like that where you're working with these concepts on a daily basis. And so all of this to say, as a society, I think that collectively when we each start to be more open and vulnerable, talking about the money we make, the debt we have, the goals we have financially, our retirement plans, when you start mixing and matching these things, it creates this beautiful space for you to have conversations with people that you trust and for you to get advice from people, for you to hear other people's methods. Because the more we talk about this, the more that we learn. It's almost like a money can be a cultural exchange of sorts. But instead of exchanging culture, you're exchanging tips and their secrets and ways that they've made money and you're sharing yours as well. And this can be a really mutually beneficial relationship. And this can also be a really good learning opportunity. Maybe that person has been wanting to teach people about stocks but doesn't know how to start doing that and you're their first practice client and they're like, oh my God, yes, I really love doing this. I'm passionate about it. You know what? You've inspired me. I'm going to make a YouTube channel. Or maybe that triggers them to think of doing financial advising as a side hustle. So whatever that may be, you never know what seeds you're planting when you have conversations about money and what ideas or knowledge you may gain just from having that conversation with somebody So I challenge you this week to really, one, look at your finances, see what your life looks like, see what your debt looks like, see what your profit margins look like. And two, think about ways that you could make additional money besides maybe just whatever your full-time salary is. And if you're doing more of like an entrepreneurial job, seeing all the different branches that can bring in money for you because... You may have heard this saying growing up, but people used to say it's not good to put all your eggs in one basket. And as I've gotten older, it's it's really true. You know, COVID showed for a lot of people how when you have all of your energy and your time and your life vested in one job, so many people got laid off. So many people were kind of put on hold and weren't sure if they were going to have a job when the pandemic ended. And There's just so much room to grow and expand and the possibilities are really infinite when it comes to ways to make money, ways to pursue your passions and make money. And ultimately, it all comes down to intention, right? Like, is your intention to really teach people something that you're passionate about and the money will flow in as a a result of that passion? Or are you willing to learn something new like in the language of investing and have that make money for you? But there's so many options and the more we discuss this as a society and the more that we shatter these boundaries of being afraid to ask people how much they make or how much debt they have or how much their rent is, the easier it will be for us to learn, to mix, to mingle, and to really demand more from employers and big companies, especially when it comes to negotiating a salary. Like some people may not know that you can negotiate a salary. Some people may just think, okay, whatever they tell me is the end all be all and I have to accept or reject this job offer. So knowing your worth, knowing how much the other people in your industry make, knowing how much your coworkers make, all of that is so important. And I feel like these conversations are so necessary to have. And if you're a parent and you have kids, I think teaching your kids the value of money 
and helping them establish basic money behavior. So if you give them $10, letting them know that they should always try to save half of that so that they can have long-term savings, even if that means some temporary sacrifice. You know, and just giving them healthy strategies for interacting with money and dealing with money instead of continuing to perpetuate this culture that is afraid to talk about money because money is still so taboo to talk about. I think with these small steps in the right direction and just with our own interactions on our daily basis, we can truly change the trajectory of what the financial realm of possibilities looks like by the time that we are our parents' age. And so if you're still listening, thank you so much. I hope this information was helpful. I hope it planted some seeds. I hope you heard some words you may not have heard about before so you could look them up the same way that I've been doing over the years. And I hope you have a wonderful day or night wherever you may be. Till next time.